Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Jesus Included Me, the conversation-based podcast devoted to the sharing of personal narratives of inclusion, or lack thereof, or both, in the Catholic Church and society life at large. I am your host and grateful founder, Sarah Ambrose, and today we have with us Dr. Valerie Torres. Dr. Valerie Torres was named a pioneering woman in philanthropy at the summit of Fordham University in 2018. She is a chair of the Religious Education Department at Aquinas High School, as well as a valued adjunct faculty member at Fordham University's Graduate Graduate School of Religion and Religious Education. Uh, She has taught leadership in formation and Bible study to adults in Spanish at the Institute of Religious and Pastoral Studies while sitting on the board of directors at Aquinas Housing Corporation. Torres holds a doctoral degree in religious education from Fordham University, and over the course of her career, she has dedicated much of her time to STEM initiatives and STREAM. Thank you so much, Dr. Valerie Torres, for um, choosing to be on the podcast with us today. Um, I'm so interested in hearing about so many things ranging from your um, award from Fordham Mm -hmm. University, as well as your work with the high school students, and also how you've been able to blend STEM with religion, mm-hmm. and um, you know how you became interested in both of these fields. So, um, just so that I can give a little bit of a recap to listeners, as well as explain a little bit more to what you know this project is trying to do. Um, you know, it's a personal problem for me that women aren't excluded in the structure of the church. It's something you know that I feel a calling for, and. So because of that, you know, this is something that I want to create conversation about, but more importantly, and because I want this project to create, you know, some sort of direct impact, I feel more pulled to really address the fact that, you know, this structure does not mirror what Jesus really taught. And that um, for those who maybe don't know the idea that structure affects behavior and vice versa, um, here I really feel that there's an issue with the fact that structure does, you know, affect the behavior and the thoughts of people within the church. And, you know, I see lots of people who have grown up in the church and maybe have turned away, not necessarily because they um, have so much, I mean, they say that they have an issue with the structure, but I also believe that there's a part of them that's really forgotten what Jesus really taught. Mm-hmm. And so with this project, I just kind of want to remind people what really, you know, what really is going on. And I think so much of that starts with the youth and um, just talking to women who have found ways to, you know, really do this for themselves. So thank you so much for being with us. Could we start with maybe talking a bit about, you know, what uh, you do at Aquinas High School? Okay, at Aquinas, I'm the religion teacher. I am the chairperson, but also the religion teacher. And I teach ninth and junior year. Um, in ninth year, there are students come from all over. You have some students that are that are practicing their faith, others are not. Mm-hmm. And we have diversity. We have some students that even at freshman year, they'll say, I'm an atheist. Some, they'll come in and arrive and say, I'm an atheist. And some, towards the end, will say, well, now I'm not really sure. I think I'm agnostic. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're searching, right? Yeah, of course. They, haven't, they may not know the stories of Jesus. Yeah. And then um, within my classes... I have things that we even we do prayers and in prayers they're able we're able to listen to each other's voices and I think that opens up the students want to know each other and they begin to ask questions and you begin to hear what are the questions that they're they're asking and many do not know the stories 
right yeah at all at all so once those stories we begin breaking open those stories yeah. they're amazed yeah so for example one of the stories i i came in here today and i saw mary magdalene the mm-hmm. image and that's an image that years ago i went to a talk at fordham university and i saw the image and every year i use that image um, especially easter time but it's that image a little one it's right in front of my desk mm-hmm. and i always tell the students how important it is it is to see in scripture that when you hear the name of a woman mm-hmm. you know that was a major woman a major le- leader yeah. and that's the whole thing and it was a woman who saw Jesus for the first time mm-hmm. the risen lord yeah. and the importance of that yeah. and i think that really empowers them i think it empowers the students so much yeah. and you see their eyes open up yeah. because and they become quiet mm-hmm. that's why i go you're somehow touching them because there is a silence there yeah and all that. So that's within the school and this happens both with the freshmen and the juniors that I have. You're always trying to share the stories of scripture with them mm-hmm. and allowing them to really read them so that comes about that they can do a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all different forms, writing, art. I always give them different forms yeah. to do type of things yeah. for them to explore there. When I look um our school, we have about 400 and, and when we look at them, they're of all economic backgrounds, many low middle class, and many are there through scholarships. Right. So we, when we look at, for example, Catholic schools for young people, for youth, um, it's a major um, challenge for their parents to get their schools. Many parents would like to see their school, children in Catholic schools, but they can't afford it. Right. So it's getting different forms of help right. to help them to along the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there, there's a few things that I want to mm-hmm. address with that. Um, first of all, I think that the idea, I mean, that's why it's so profound that you do the religious education mm-hmm. because it's teaching the scripture and what was actually taught that kind of opens the eyes. Mm-hmm. And I was raised, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with um, religion. And I was raised Christian, but I wasn't raised Catholic. My nana um, raised my father Catholic, but he converted to Episcopalian, mm-hmm. so that's what we were raised but I always had my Nana's influence to, you know, in the background mm-hmm. of what this was. And then once I finally really started listening to scripture and reading and fully understanding what Christ really taught, I found so much of its power and energy through the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that that, again, that mm-hmm. just mirrors exactly what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. here, that idea of just bringing people back to what was actually taught. Right because it, it, it opens the eyes. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you so much for with the, with the Mary oh, Magdalene. My mm-hmm. boss would be so happy about mm-hmm. that. But um, uh, it, talking a little bit more about my family, my dad, um, you know, whenever I speak to him about Mary Magdalene, it's, it's that, you know, n- knowing that a woman's included for some men is very, very, you know, it uplifts them just as much as it uplifts the women. Mm-hmm. And so I like how you kind of you, you address mm-hmm. that. Um, how long have you been working at Aquinas? Well, at Aquinas, I've been at Aquinas for years. Okay. Yeah, because I used to work at AT&T in computer right. science so for that. many years. Right. And that's where I was doing my STEM work. So from the beginning that I started there, I was always interest, I've always been interested in bridging the academic gap. Right. Right? Yes. And my whole thing has been, and bridging the yeah. academic gap, especially for those who are economically challenged. And so that includes women and young boys as well, but just helping them and opening the way, helping them to imagine that they can go beyond what their current situation might be. Right. 
So from the beginning when I started at AT&T, I always um, did some form of mentoring, whether it was in the summer, it was visiting schools, mm-hmm. and, and that was like really a blessing that AT&T really wanted to help students. Yeah, that is they, they were making an effort. Right. Okay. So for me, that was always there. And, and always I've been, you're a woman, so there's a particular way that you want to bring women in, yeah, right? Yeah. It's always that, even more. So when I left AT&T, I always, I wanted to teach. My desire was to teach. Okay. And so I took an opportunity. I started in one school, and actually that was an all-girls school that closed that year. And since I wanted to teach, I took the job. I said, I just, there was an opening there, and I took, wow. so I was there. So for that last year, I started in November in that school. From November to June, it was going through the process of seeing a, clo- a school close. Mm-hmm. And there I taught um, ninth, I taught 10th and 11th grade. Okay. So I saw the suffering of those young girls mm-hmm. and their teachers. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like when I enter a school, it's like I go in. That's a family. It's a community. Yeah. And it's so sad that so many girls' schools are closing. Yeah. So I'm always advocating. We have to do something for girls' school, right? Yeah. And usually boys' schools, you find people who donate. It's not as much mm. for girls. It's like you're trying to build up. Right, right. Because there's so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's why I've always, at least for now, that's where I feel that that's my place. Yeah. So when you when you speak to the suffering, you mean as because the school was closing. The, yeah, the suffering of the young girls. The yeah, girls being torn apart. It was um, Our Lady of Good Counsel. Okay. In White Plains. Okay. And um, those girls, they went so through so much because they wanted their, they loved their school. Yeah. And it was a wonderful school. Yeah. And you know, yeah. a decision was made, and that school was closed. Yeah. So just that whole idea, it's like. It was so horrible. It's like that last day you can't even talk. Wow. And you as a teacher, you're trying to give them the courage. Yeah. And all that. So um, so I don't want to see any school closing. Yeah. I lived through that, and I know how it is. And I was only there a couple of months. Imagine those who have been there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So at Aquinas, then I went to Aquinas. From there, I left. When it closed, I came to Aquinas. Um and you see, it's a different community, right? Because over there, it was more Anglo. It was there was diversity. There was diversity too, but here were more um, Hispanic, um, Black, and some Anglo. Okay. Um, so you have that diversity, diversity of religions, um, diversity of different economic backgrounds. So it's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful when you're able to come together. And in my classes, in our classes, you're teaching the Catholic faith but with an open, being inclusive, when right. we look at this, to the other students as well. Yeah. So And it is a challenge, right? Teaching religion nowadays, I don't think people imagine how challenging it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think some people, I, I don't think people realize that. Yeah. How, how creative you have to be, how, how much you have to listen to your students so the message can be relevant. Absolutely. And, and empower them to share that message. Yeah, yeah. It's even letter writing. Like today, um, a couple of days ago, a student, when we went and went around the, the classroom and they prayed for something, one student said, can we pray for my mother who's taking the driving? Mm-hmm. And she, the mother had failed the test okay. several times. And on Thursday, the student told me, my mother passed the test. <laughs> so today what we did is helping them with that sense of gratitude mm-hmm. 
um, the whole class, they did a thank you letter for the mom, plus saying congratulations, and they all signed it. Oh, and they even put a little card. So it becomes a lesson of caring yeah. right? and everything. And I, uh, I wonder how the mother will be when she sees it, because it was all supposed to be a surprise. So oh, the mother okay. gets it today, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. But it's making that connection yeah. with the world yeah. and, and helping the kids to realize it. Yeah. I mean, my mm-hmm. experience with religion is that my most vital lessons come from it. Right. So I, I understand mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking right. about. Mm-hmm. I sat in, um, so I did an internship with Ascension School over the past summer, and I sat in on one of the religion courses, and I mean, especially just with what, you know, the exclusive uh, exclusive structure and just behaviors within the church that are going on, there are big questions that children are asking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the eighth grade girls especially were asking, well, why can't, I mean, I, I sat in mm-hmm. on an interesting class, I think, because um, there were a few girls who asked, well, why can't I be a priest? Right. And I really mm-hmm. applaud the teacher because he was very straightforward about what, you know, scripture teaches and mm-hmm. what, unfortunately, the church is teaching at right. this point. So, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I teach sacraments. In junior right. year, that's what you teach. So those, all these tough Questions. issues come out yeah. when you look at marriage and all these different topics that come yeah. about. And, and the thing is making them aware of what's the teaching of the church and helping them to ponder, to, to answer these questions yeah. and know that perhaps um, celebrating a sacrament is not for them, right? Yeah. Religion ultimately, as they, come, as they grow up, it's a choice. Yeah. They have to make, when they're little, their parents make a decision. Yeah. But it's... As a teacher, you try to tell them, this is something that you're going to ponder and decide ultimately. But your parents do have that responsibility. Yeah, as you grow up. And I I taught baptism a couple of weeks ago. And it's important there, junior 16, right? And at 16, they're able to be grandparents. According to the teaching of the Catholic Church, at 16, you can be. You know, in a parish, a pastor or something can make a decision, maybe not or something. But there is, that's part of what it says, and I tell them, you know, at some point you may be asked to be a grandparent. Right. Yeah. And how, so as you learn the sacraments, it's you knowing, are you able to fulfill this sacrament? Yeah. Um, Gosh, I didn't know it. That's very young. Oh, yes, it is. It can be, yeah. But, but, it's, but in a way, that's where you can also see that it's inclusive. Mm-hmm. Because already yeah. at that level, they've celebrated. At that time, they've already celebrated the sacraments of initiation. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, would you mind if maybe we talked a little bit about your relationship with the faith growing up? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was little, for example, uh, my faith from when I was little, my mother was always it was the home. You look at the domestic church, right? The church of the home, and my mother wasn't one that really that wasn't one when I was little. She didn't go to church. I celebrated my first communion when I was in seventh grade. Okay. Okay. I went to public school up to sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade. I went to middle to a Catholic school, okay. and then so I went there, and but the faith was always there at home. We always had an image of the Sacred Heart that from when I was little we prayed, mm-hmm. and I would say Papa Dios and all that in Spanish, yeah. right, more. Um, and like I loved, I loved going to mass. Uh, you know, it was just a part of who I was. Right. So. It was there that I started going. A lot of times I would go with neighbors in our building. Mm. So my mother always didn't go. My mother started going, actually, when I was little. Um, actually, as a young adult, I was going to take the driver's license. Okay. 
uh, the driver's test. Right. And I was so nervous. And one Sunday, I'm walking with my mother. And here's a young adult already. Um, and I told him, I am going to church tomorrow. You don't want to come? I am going. <laughs> and from that moment on, that opened the door where she started going to church. So it's like those little things, those lived experiences that you would never imagine. Just something like that. Yeah. And that point opened the door. Yes. And what I love and about I that is you gave her a choice. Yeah. I, but said, you, you, I said, I am going. Yeah. Because you have that calling. I think once, then once I started going to church, I think a lot of times, and I don't know if this is true for people of different ethnic backgrounds, but in church they would always make announcements and say, oh, if you want to be a catechist, come here. Come at this time. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to do this, come at this time. It was never like one-on-one. Right. And it was when we began having priests that was one-on-one mm-hmm. that truly opened the door. Mm. And that you felt included. Right. Because one, someone came to you and said, you know, we have this, can you join us? So right. there I joined South Bronx Judith for Change. That led eventually to a finals housing. I became in the parish council. You get in and you keep on. Right. But it was the one-on-one. Mm. And I can tell you once, when I was little, when I was little, um, younger, um, I used to go and help my mother and I. In the summer especially, we would go. It was called United Bar Parents. It was a, a nonprofit that was there to help families, poor families in particular. And in the summer, they would give breakfast and lunch, like they do nowadays. Okay. Right? And my mother would go and help in the line, help the line, right. maintain order in the line. And I would be, and I was even 10, and I would be doing, at that point, it was service. Eventually, when I was 14, I got a summer job there. Um, but I would be distributing lunches. Mm. And it was from that experience that I learned um, to care for young people as well and to see hunger. Yeah. Because when you live in a place, when you're in your home, you you may know that there's poverty, but when you're young, you really don't know. No. You don't know it. But there I saw it. Yeah. I saw poverty of children. I saw poverty of adults. Yeah. Because, you know, you have these rules. You can't give food to the adults. This yeah. was lunches and breakfast for children. Yeah. But when food was left over, untouched, that could become, right? Right. How old were you? Did you that, that started at 10. That started and at I 10. went all through yeah. for many years. Um, and one interesting thing of this story is that I, this was I was thinking at home mm-hmm. when I first saw mm-hmm. about your stuff. It was at the end of one of the years, I can't remember what year it was, someone gave my mother at the end a rosary and flowers. Mm-hmm. And my mother was so happy and she showed me and she said, she told me, these flowers are so beautiful, mm-hmm. let's take them to the church. So we went to the rectory and we knocked on the door. The person who opened the door took the flowers and said thank you and closed the door. And I go, here I was probably 10, maybe 11. It was before 14, so it was early on. Um, I said that was an opportunity that the doors could have opened. And I always remember that. And I say, you don't know when a person's going to come. So when they come, how are they welcome? And and like nowadays, like when I see families that come, you know, most of our churches are closed during the day, right? Mm-hmm. Or the rectory will be open certain hours and all that. But it's the importance of that of really listening to the people. Yes. And knowing their culture, mm-hmm. because for Spanish, to light a candle, yeah. to put flowers is so important. So important. Right. Yeah. And so my mother was someone who had gone to church for many years. Yeah. This was such a big opportunity. Right. And I remember that story, that experience. And how, yeah. like, tangibly to be, like, represented with the actual door right. closing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. yeah. So that's the first one I thought when you said, "When was that moment of explosion right. that I felt?" But it was. A but moment. at that moment, yeah. yeah, that could have happened. Remember, there I was very little. I I came as a youth. Yeah. Young adult. This story has now just triggered something <laughs> that I haven't thought about in years. And my first question before I tell you that, if if you care to answer this honestly, mm. what was your emotion when you saw those people who were so hungry? Um, sad, wanting to sad. Help. Yeah. Sad. And and then you become aware. You became aware of it. And it's just there. It becomes a part of you. Yeah. Like when I wrote my dissertation for Fordham, my doctoral dissertation, it was all um, familias and la lucha, families in the struggle, right? right? From Mujerista theology, yeah. uh, the religious education of of, uh, of families in New York City, it, it came from there. Right. It, that was one experience. Another experience was around where I lived. All the buildings. It was in the Bronx, right? Which was known worldwide as a war zone. Yeah. Seemed like a war zone. And I remember, and I share this story with my students in class. I remember going into a building once. This was a building that had been burned down, and it looked like. It was bombed. It looked okay. like a bombed building. And I remember, right, you're curious when you're young, mm-hmm. so you'll go with your friends. Yeah. So we <laughs> entered this building, and I was hit that families were living there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and those memories go with you. Yeah, they do. And it's those memories that you take and you say, what can we do? Yeah. And I think this is what led me to Southbound People for Change, Aquinas Housing, and that whole sense of bringing justice. Yeah. And even wanting to teach girls. Yeah. So they use their voices to transform right. the world. Yeah, because my Nana, when I was growing up, she would pick me up in my house and she would take me to the soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that's just what we did. And I remember the first time I went, I think I was probably 10 years old, and I was petrified mm-hmm. to see um, just that people live with this. And mm-hmm. and it, it's funny, the first emotion, I can tell you honestly, it wasn't sadness. It was, I was very scared. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of an an emotion that um, rang true throughout my childhood. I think mm-hmm. that I was definitely always scared of seeing what, you know, how bad things were for, mm-hmm. for some people. Um, so, yeah, that is, mm-hmm. it's very, yeah. Yeah, it's the importance of knowing when you're little how those memories really form a yeah. person. Yeah, and, and for me, I guess for me, I don't, I don't remember fear. I don't yeah. remember being scared. For me, it's what can I do? Well, which is the better? <laughs> which is <laughs> which the better? Yeah, for me, okay. <laughs> what can I do to yeah. help these other people as well? Yeah, but and, and I think yeah. that's exactly what we have to um, be teaching, you know, because mm-hmm. I know my experience, and I'm okay with mm-hmm. sharing this openly, that um, I feel quite deeply, and I usually get scared, and sometimes the fear is what stops me from mm-hmm. acting, and. That is what, you know, we have to right. teach people mm-hmm. courage right. to keep. So this is mm-hmm. so funny that this email came back to me, and it's yeah. I now see how it you know, mm-hmm. has been a linear mm-hmm. emotion throughout my life. Um, but, yeah, so it's the idea of, to, even if you do feel fear, to take that. Right. be intentional. Be intentional and say how, okay, I'm scared, this is sad. Now how am I going to move to this world right. to help these people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Um, so now you did your undergrad at Fordham. Was I did my undergrad. My undergrad was math and computer yeah, science. Math and computer science. So I did a, then a master's with uh, in computer science in City College. Okay. And then I went from there to work at AT and T. I was right. actually given like a scholarship at City College to pursue. Um, and this is important to know and to share. Mm-hmm. At the end of doing, I did the master's in one year, okay. and I was offered a scholarship to continue and do my PhD in computer science. 
great. And at that point, but at that point, I said, I'm tired of being poor. Mm-hmm. And I had gone to, I had done a summer internship at AT&T. And when I did the year before, I did that internship. I was offered a job and I said, no, yeah. I'm doing a master's. Yeah. And then, but after, you know, it was, it was a matter, you're counting pennies. Just yeah. because you get an opportunity, sometimes you're counting pennies and you don't see the way. For me, at that point, they told me, well, if you're doing your ma- if you're doing the PhD, you may have to go to Brooklyn, you may have to go to Queens, you know, to take classes. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was really dangerous at night yeah. and everything. And I said, I said, you know, um, I just, I, I just felt that at that point in time, it wasn't the right choice. Right. And it's a hard thing, and you always look back and you say, right, it's really hard because I love the school, I love learning. Right. Um, but I did the AT&T experience, which yeah. was also wonderful and everything. But it's a choice that you come and do at one point of your life, and you really say. And I remember that the words that I would usually say was, to me, the words to me, I would say, I'm tired of being poor. Yeah. So I guess at that point, I felt, and it, it, it was economic poor, but it was, I, somehow I think it was probably more in there as well. Mm. Of, I don't know. But I don't know. Well, it's also, I mean, when do we come out of the academic academic world and choose to really, you know, mm-hmm. come into the real world mm-hmm. and put what we've learned yeah. into motion? Mm-hmm. So I could also see maybe, like, feeling poor in spirit, the idea of right. really interacting with mm-hmm. people. Not that you don't want to go right. to academia, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Yeah, and it's a situation that you go, you know, you're going to be traveling at night. It's safety. It becomes a safety yeah. issue. How do you do it? How do you afford it? Yeah. You don't, and you always have that thing is you don't want to take loans. You you take some, but you don't want to kill yourself, especially. But that's where even nowadays I say the importance of girls knowing, or people knowing, young people knowing that that there's opportunities out there, that there's loan. They need to know that information. Their parents need to know that information, and they need to know that. Yeah. Because if not, that blocks you. Yeah. You may have an opportunity and say no. Yeah. I had another thing because in AT and T. I was hired, and they didn't hire people without a PhD, and I was hired in AT&T Research, wow. which is a major thing. So that's why I said yes there. Right. But when you look at the picture, you say no. Yeah. There, um, I did one of my interviews with a woman named Dr. Claire Gaudiano, mm-hmm. and she's, I, I won't be able to explain this as well as obviously she could, but she wrote a book called Generosity Unbound, and it's based on, you know, philanthropy mm-hmm. and how that has really been something that our country has been founded off mm-hmm. of and the idea of just making people aware of the resources and money mm-hmm. that can be given to us right. through, you know, loans or through donations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, exactly. Just yeah. making people aware. Mm-hmm. Was STEM something always? Always there. I always, yeah, because I, I, I liked math and I wanted to share that knowledge. I would see in AT&T that whole idea of of the genius there, yeah. right? Yeah. And you you you're surrounded with people that they're total geniuses and everything and you want to share with that with others. Because with me it came about more I used to be in the sub I, I commuted. I took New Jersey transit so I had a long commute so I was an observer. <laughs> and in that commute I would always see there was part of the New Jersey transit that you would see these book these students um going to the better schools, the better area, right? And they had all these wonderful books, new books and everything. And I would look at the ones from my area and say, 
I don't even see kids with books. And when I see them with books, they're used books, they're this. Sometimes teachers would not want the students to take the book home because it was already or always assumed that they would lose the book or something, mm. or they wouldn't take care of it. Okay. That was a reality. That's not my school now. Right. But then, um, and I remember that, just observing them, and I said, no, STEM, this, how can I, how can we bring this knowledge to children who don't have the opportunities, children who don't have co- parents in colleges, children who have never heard of a PhD, yeah. you know, yeah. they think Dr. Torres, are you a doctor? Yeah. Not a medical doctor. <laughs> don't talk to me. I would still be right. in school. Totally. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I know yeah. that. Right. But it's making them aware. And that's why for me, I use a doctor. I make it clear in school, they call me Dr. Torres. Oh, interesting. Oh, I do. Because yeah. I say, because now for that, for, for most, it's a given, right? But I said, it's very important because they need to know, one, what is a doctorate? Yeah. And know that someone like them has achieved. Yeah. Is able to do it. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I like so it. it's all those type of things. Yeah. So STEM, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I like STREAM. Yeah. Which is a new thing coming. That, right. Well, yeah. it's not totally new, but okay. it's a couple of years old. I think people are still trying to imagine it and see how it's actually embodied yeah. in places. So it's the whole idea that you say science, technology, religion, engineering, art, and math. Mm-hmm. And if you look, all these careers. When you look at science, there's art in there too, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it's the idea of how is it that a school can work together, not in everything, right? Because you have curriculum that you have to fulfill, but in areas, what moments within the year can we come together? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I found through just doing a little bit of research on yeah. you is that you did a uh, conversation with um, American Magazine. Uh huh. The Latin Catholic group about uh huh. Uh-huh. I think it was yeah. in 2015. That you yeah, were it was Timothy Motelli. Uh-huh. And he was the main presenter, and I was the respondent. Okay, yeah. So it was beautiful in that, just looking at Catholicism, Latino Catholicism now that we know that there's such a huge percentage. It's youth. It's mm-hmm. a young population. Yeah. So it's that having to pay attention to our youth, and when we look at youth ministry, what is youth ministry? Usually we think of one way of, we say youth ministry, there's one youth ministry in a parish, and what what, what many theologians and youth Hispanic theologians are, are emphasizing is that there has to be multiple. For example, when I was young, I never went to a youth ministry because mm-hmm. they were at night. Right. That, that wasn't an option. Right, right. For me, it wasn't yeah. an option. Yeah. So here it's thinking, and when we look at Latinos, we have some that are English-speaking, yeah. some Spanish-speaking. Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, there was an interesting right. conversation about language, right. or a mm-hmm. question about language. Yeah, and generational, yeah. or like first generation, yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. so it's that diversity. And this year, I, I, I've been really blessed this year in many ways. It's like mm-hmm. things just come up, this is another blessing. Yeah. Um, but I, I participated in the Encuentro process, the Quinta Encuentro process. This is something that started like three years ago. Okay. And it's hearing the voices of the Latino community, um, from the parishes, mm-hmm. then it went diocesan, then it went national. Yeah. The national was in September. Okay. Um, and the whole idea is, um, it's not separating Latinos from the Catholic Church. It's saying, how can Latinos 
build, right? Yeah. The gift. Yeah. I share that gift, and and it's for Latinos and everyone. Yeah. So it was. This was like a major event for years. And I and I can attest, and I'll speak mm-hmm. after you're done. That mm-hmm. the, what the Latin community has done for me in the Catholic Church is mm-hmm. just. I mean, it's a huge gift there, mm-hmm. especially the women. That's the thing, yeah. and and that, that's where where you were saying um, in one of your questions that have been, how do you feel included or excluded? I go in the Latino community. In some ways, um, you don't really feel that excluded. Yeah. Because you're so active. Yeah. And and you're always looking. If it can happen there, it can happen because it a lot of it is manifested in the community. Right. Right. You have the church building and you have the mass center and everything, but you go out into the world. Yeah. It's the whole thing with Pope Francis where you where he says missionary disciples going out. Yeah. But this has been common for Spanish people. Right. It's yeah, like absolutely. it comes from who we are. Absolutely. So it's in your blood. you're always yeah. doing it. So I think in that way, um, there are those moments that you might feel excluded, mm-hmm. but it's it's rare. Yeah. And and I go like when I was a young adult, as a young adult when I was actively involved in the church where I was called right after that driving test yeah. that got me there yes. and to stay. <laughs> yeah. Um it was really priests and often they were not Latino priests who and I remember a specific priest who said, like when I got involved in South Bronx people who changed that said, You speak up. We had community organizations and we we invited politicians and everything. And one yeah. of the first things we fought for was for a stop sign in an area. Mm-hmm. We wanted a stop light. Like you should see all the things, the traffic lights and stuff. Okay. What it takes. So then we we fought for um, a stop sign. And he said, if you have to say something, you say it. Mm-hmm. Don't ever be yeah. fearful of saying it. Mm-hmm. And this was a priest. And mm-hmm. they were they gave great homilies, empowering homilies for everyone. Yeah. Because they were so connected with their community. Yeah. They knew their communities. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and I I think that's important today that that continue to happen. Yes. Because I think sometimes there's a disconnect. I think sometimes when we have priests, and I love my church, don't get me wrong here, and I'm a hopeful person on this, but I think sometimes there's a disconnect that sometimes we have not had the opportunity to come to know their communities. Yeah. And that's that that's where sometimes you feel excluded because Absolutely. it's not speaking yeah. to us. Yeah. And and that's that's not just one particular parish or anything. That's oh, in general. It's all over. Yeah. yeah. I know that, I mean, the reason why, I mean, inclusion was a word that, you know, really came to mind with this project, was the only word that came to mind with this project, because of this parish. Mm -hmm. And um, two things, one, because of the priest here who has always included me, has always just included all peoples, Mm -hmm. um, and has actively said it verbally in Mass, at the end of the Mass, he always makes an effort to um, verbalize every single different kind of person that Mm-hmm. in this church, you know, um, that may, you know, outside of the doors, people might presume would be excluded. Mm-hmm. And um, this church, Ascension Church, is um, has a very heavy Hispanic influence. And I think that may be one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I do feel so included. My family, I'm mostly Arab, half Arab, half Italian, and American. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up here. But um, that's mostly what I am. And in my experience, there is a lot of overlap within those communities mm-hmm. and the Hispanic community, just the passion and the love and the willingness to share and it family. and engage with the family. Um, and 
So yeah, it comes from the community and so much of this project I'm trying to emphasize is that inclusion, yes, the structure, I want to change it and I wish I could change it right now, but there's a feeling of inclusion we can create that can sustain us mm -hmm. in the meantime. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that spirit of hope, right? That spirit, that spirit of, of joy and hope. Yes. Even in it. Because there's always going to be struggle, right? Absolutely. That's a reality. Suffering, yeah. disease, and all that. And how do we help our, for me, is how do we help our young people? Because our young people, there's, it, it, it's so, there's so many people that don't feel loved. I know. And, and it's worrisome. And like when you're a teacher, you're always, you're trying to emphasize that, yeah. that God loves you, that we love you, we care for you. Yeah. We have high expectations yeah. for you. Yeah. It's like, don't come with no excuse. No. This is I'm going to do. Yeah. Unless something that, because you're trying to teach them and we're, we're preparing them for college. We're Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everything. So, but it's also with kindness. With, helping mean, them to experience that kindness. That is kindness. We, <laughs> right, we, right. We can't take it for granted. Yeah. I think nowadays some things we may think like today, um, last week we had them write something on what does um, giving thanks mean to them. Right. It's a reflection. Yeah. And all the students were, were given the assignment, part of the religion department. Yeah. I haven't read them. I have yeah. my mind over here. Okay. And the whole idea is, like today I was asking them, how many of you share a meal with your parents mm -hmm. at least once a week or something? And depending the class, in some classes it wasn't a lot. Right. And I said, they'll say, maybe in Thanksgiving. <laughs> and they, they would go, okay, but it's, if it's Thanksgiving, one section said, is it boring? And they said, it's boring because the, el the older people <laughs> they are talk. talking this, their music and all that. And I said, well, do you make the effort yeah. to speak to them? Yeah. And they were like, no. <laughs> so they're just funny because yeah. when you see them and all that. But at least that opens the way. And I have so, for me, one, one tool that I use a lot is also movies. Movies really open their minds. Interesting. So, for example, in part of the book, I train the movie Blindside, Hidden yeah. Figures, um, McFarlane USA. It touches all nationalities. Mm -hmm. um, we did Romero, St. Romero, like October 14th, oh, right. became a saint. Yeah. And we did um, Selma Lord Selma. Okay. So, depending the grade. Yeah. And it all, a lot of it is folk, right? So, Selma Lord Selma is. Civil act right. to vote the right to vote mm -hmm. of everyone. So they learned that Romero, that too, that movie was looking at the people wanted to vote for the change of the government. So they see those in, in a diversity. Right. In McFarland, USA, it was in California, McFarland, a town of McFarland. So you see uh, Mexican Americans and their struggle. Yeah. Where you had a group of kids who initially, young boys, and they love seeing things like boys, girls, you know. <laughs> so, um, young boys who couldn't imagine yeah. the um, you yeah. know, they their school had a prison right next door. Yeah. Really different. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, but this opens the door for them, mm -hmm. and they begin to imagine. And, and they said, "We love your movies, but with me, they love my movies and pretzels." Because <laughs> we you have. So that's why. And then they get so excited. Right. So. Uh, honey, honey, something pretzel Costco oh. that sells. They yeah. even ask, where do you get them? <laughs> and they know that when we have ninety-minute class, you know, it's a long time when yeah. you have students for ninety minutes, and they have depending where their lunch periods go. Yeah. So they get like two pretzels. They yeah. know they ask how many, yeah. and sometimes can we have another? <laughs> yeah. 
But but that's why you say that's why you're showing sharing. Yeah. Because they get a sense yeah. that they have to share. Mm-hmm. Um and love. Because they experience it within each other and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. These are interesting points that you bring up because also what I've been contemplating with this project is that everything starts with the self and that um, Jesus is really, his only commandment that he really does tell us is one, to love God Mm -hmm. and two, to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that requires loving yourself first. And that's something that this past semester I've really been thinking about. And um, yeah, love is the most important Mm -hmm. thing. That's really, really, that's that what we have to mm-hmm. continue to create because what happens when it's absent helping them to understand what is love what is love? right because a lot of them sometimes will say um they say love and like mm-hmm. right you may not like it a lot yeah but you still have that obligation to love, right so here this week thanksgiving they're collecting cans of food and and getting money to buy turkeys like these next few days it's like yeah um because we have our neighboring parish where we celebrate the mass and that parish is really expect expects from us to help them right it's a poor parish so they count on us not expect they count on us right for those meals right so you see the kids you see the excitement there yeah of them bringing doing something and seeing the value and then when we celebrate that mass there'll be like a basket that gives yeah. an example yeah and i remember last year there were so many baskets i was going to go to families yeah and and that's where they learn they come from love yes i i grew up um being you know taught from my aunt that giving is really the most powerful mm-hmm. thing and so that that is teaching mm-hmm. you know the power of giving mm-hmm. and so that's really great that they're getting excited about doing that mm-hmm. one of the things I'll, I'll share with you about ascension school i had so I gave them some um, inclusion narratives. Some of them were so beautiful, the answers, but some of them were really sad. And especially there's this one boy that I have in mind. He, um, I, I'm close to him, I'm close to his family. And he's, he's special. And mm-hmm. he is clearly somebody who has an extra presence of God in him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. He could, he, he could be, he's very active in the church and he could very easily be, you know, a great warrior of the faith, as I would put it. And I had him answer the question, when Jesus looks at you, what would you like the world to know he sees? And his response to that was that he probably sees a sinner, but somebody who's trying very hard and has overcome a lot. And the latter part is wonderful, Mm -hmm. but the former absolutely broke my heart because I just think that, yeah, we make mistakes and we have our wrongdoings and some are worse than others, Mm -hmm. But for him to feel like that's what Jesus saw when he's a boy, he's always at church, always working so hard, is re- like really has a good heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm so glad that you're teaching religious education and instilling. And that's why you're trying to show them. And and you you tell them, yeah, because you can have, especially young kids, yeah. that because they'll come off sin with being bad. I don't know, being it can be harmful. Yeah, and that's the important. That's the thing when you teach religion, you have to be so careful. Yeah, as a teacher, you really have to be careful. Yeah, and I just wonder how can we the idea of loving yourself just like your neighbor mm-hmm. or loving your neighbor who you don't like right. or you don't care yeah. to? That's difficult. That's difficult. Mm-hmm. And how can we really love ourselves if we're constantly that idea of being a sinner? It's mm-hmm. just like constantly replying. I don't. Yeah, these are just things I'm contemplating. Yeah. I I tell them like like Thanksgiving, right? If you look at a neighbor, you know someone. Um, 
And you may not like that person. And you may not want to talk to that person. But I say, if you know that that person as a child doesn't have a clue, if they don't like school, there's a way that you can get that help them. Yeah. Exactly. And still be invisible. Not let them know yeah. that that's what, not what you want. But yeah. you find that way. Yeah. Things. And that really helps them. It helps them to hear that. Yeah. Because, you know, you may not meet people. There might be issues there. There might be a story there. But right. still, we, like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We have to care. Yeah. And so how do we do that? Yeah. And I think that's And you challenge them. them. Right. You, yeah. you ask them the question. I think you ask a lot of them. Yeah. And help them to find it. Yeah. And to share. Yeah. That. Absolutely. Do you have any specific memory of when you chose to include someone others might not like? Um, yeah. I can think of, and, but it wasn't only me that included him. Like I saw him yesterday, I think that's why I think of him now. And this is a young uh, gentleman. We used to have an English group. Like I was, like here it's typical of Latino, where um, I used to go to English mass. Right. And then they stopped that mass because the, the number of people there, a decision was like, but, okay. and, but for years that, that mass had, um, we had breakfast after mass. Mm-hmm. For decades, mm-hmm. for decades. And this young fellow that I saw yesterday, his name is Harry. And he he doesn't dress well. He sometimes smells, right? Um, and everything. But I knew his mother, and his mother used to come to the English group. And he used to come to the English group, too. And at some point in his life, something happened that he changed, right? But he's a loving person, but I'm always fearful that someone could hurt him. Mm. and all that so so when I see him I always have like five dollars that I give him mm. and I say Harry here for your breakfast and yeah. a hug no matter what no matter how he is and all that sometimes he'll be better than others but I think it's it's that's an example of it of how Absolutely. of how you think of particular people like I think of particular people or particular groups I think of a man who used to live at Aquinas Housing Corporation in one of our senior buildings, which is also for people with disabilities. Okay. Um, he was in a wheelchair from a young age, from early adulthood, in a wheelchair. And I found out um, a week ago, or now maybe two weeks ago, that he died. And I felt so upset that nobody let me know. Because he was one of the original ones that moved into that building. And like, I loved him so much. Yeah. And I go, how can people not give you that information or yes. provide that information that they should know. Absolutely. So I see that as a floor in it. Um, that you had mentioned something in your um, America speech about death as well mm-hmm. with the church. Um, I think with your mother and how you felt really supported. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it was, right, I was an only child, so it was my mm-hmm. mother and I raised all the time and my mother died suddenly. But when I left AT&T, I left AT&T because I had a real my mother was really sick. Yeah. So my, my option was, okay, search for a job within AT&T, which I'm sure I would have found. Yeah. Or, or put my mother in a nursing home. I said, I'm not putting my mother in a nursing home. Yeah. So it wasn't even an option for right. me. <laughs> and four months later, my mother died. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I said, okay, this is the time that God is calling. You leave it in God's hands, yeah. right? It's that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it was the people in the church. And that's where you see where you go. You never imagine, you know, my mother suddenly, she's there dead. And it's the people of the church that come. They help me to prepare the memorial service yeah. and everything. And the church, um, the priest comes. I remember when my mother
mother died. Really, I think my mother died at home, but they take you to the hospital and they keep trying, right? And so when I'm in the hospital, here it's an example of I was desperately looking for someone to pray. I couldn't pray for my mom. I couldn't say the words for that. And so I called like two different priests that I know. Nobody was around. Um, so I had a religious sister. And I called her and I, and I said, um, can you pray with me? So I had there a, another young woman who's like my sister. I'm, I'm the godmother of her kids. Um, and we were there around my mother. And the priest afterwards, he maybe called like half an hour later. Okay. By then we had gone. Right. But it was that power of women. You don't yeah. even think of that. But here it's how the women came together and helped make everything possible. Yes. You know, because when something happens like that, you're 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 functioning, but it's like autopilot. Yeah. Right. It's yes. like you just yes. You go about. You do everything. Like for me, what helped me in preparing for my mother's memorial service and everything was taking bringing about those pictures, yeah. and then like. Um, the one that my sister, her, she looked at pictures and me, I created a PowerPoint and things like that. But it helped me to deal with that. Absolutely. But the community helped there. Yeah. And that's what you see. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of my community, of how they come together. And it doesn't matter who you are, how your parents are. They get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the beauty of, that's, I say it's the church at its best. It's the church. It's Jesus' church, yeah, right? That's when we look at that. Thing. It's those moments and those moments of joy and then those moments of sorrow. Yeah. I think we have to celebrate more of the joyful moments. Yeah. I think I always say, like, when our young people graduate, they should be celebrating that. Yeah. Milestones. When but we move on and to not, the next not, thing. Right, right. <laughs> I think those milestones should be celebrated. And not just the student that is the top, yeah. right? But just any student who has reached that point. Right, because we all did our best to get there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's some areas that I think we could be better at. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you two last questions mm-hmm. that I end each podcast with. Okay. Um, the first one being, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? Um... I'll tell you how what I what I used to see in Jesus when I was like a younger. Yeah. For me, when I was younger, I would see Jesus. When I thought of Jesus, it was like my brother, my older brother. Oh, that's always, beautiful. Always. And then now I go, hmm, I don't know. When I look at Jesus, I guess it's like pure. Uh, I guess it's pure love. Yeah. But but it's a love like it's not a visual thing, right? It's more a feeling yeah. than anything. Yeah. Definitely. For me, it's more a feeling that it's love there. Like he's always there for you. Always there. Always there. Beautiful. Thank you. And the last one being, when Jesus looks at you, what would you like the world to know he sees? When Jesus looks, um, a person who's trying to be kind and compassionate mm-hmm. and loving, mm-hmm. trying to relive the great commandment, trying, yeah. not always successful, but trying. Yeah, it certainly yeah, sounds like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Torres. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, and I hope to see you on the next segment.